0: What the Hell is a Pastor? A podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each
1: week, we sit down to discuss our experiences and challenges in small-town parish ministry and in Ph.D. work and ask others to join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can.
0: So, Nick, what's going on with your church? What's happening? What's happening in ministry role?
1: Oh, goodness. I don't remember exactly what i said the last time i was on here i probably should have gone back and listened to the last episode i was on just to see what i've already said but uh at the risk of repeating things uh in the in the covid world of the church we are um not doing in-person worship we are um well i have two churches i have a big church and a small church the small church is doing in-person worship but there's only like five to ten people there on a sunday And they all wear masks, and they all live together anyway, so I'm not really worried about them. Um, It's just me. So I'm like up in the front, away from everybody, and as soon as it's over, I like bolt out the door, and that's basically that. (laughs) Um, But with the bigger church, we're doing uh, drive-in service, so everybody comes and parks their car in the parking lot. And uh, it's a much shorter service, because a lot of the pieces of the service that require You know, some of the stuff we just can't do aren't in the service. And so it ends up being a much shorter service, which is, you know, fine by me, actually. And I think everybody else is fine with it, too. Like, there's no choir singing. You know, we only do, like, two verses of a song because everybody's singing from inside their car and they can't hear each other anyway. So I try to make it – so we are singing, but it's short and sweet. Um, Right, right. And just things like that. And that cuts a lot of time. And it's just me. Like, I don't have a liturgist up there with me. It's just me doing the whole service, which is, I think, one of the biggest conceptual differences is that I don't Mm. have any laity up in front of everybody helping lead worship, which I feel strange about because it's something Mm. I've always appreciated doing, having the laity be a part of leading the service in that way. But it is what it is for now. Um, We've managed to, so we're like, I don't even know how many weeks into this we are now uh, but it's a lot. We've been doing this for a couple months and it has been sunny every single Sunday. It has not rained on us once, knock on wood. Um, it has been beautiful. And I'm not a Calvinist, but you know, it, that's all feel, God, man. It's all, feel been, determined. It's
0: all been determined. <laughs> feel blessed.
1: Predetermined um, in
0: the divine councils. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but it's starting to get colder. Yep. We're up in the mountains in Northern Pennsylvania. So like, this last week I preached in like, you know, long pants and a sweater and things like that. and It was still kind of chilly, but the sun's still coming down on me and that helps a little bit. But we know that it's getting colder and we know COVID's not going away. So we're starting to prep for like, what does the winter look like? You know, right? a lot of older people, they can't just sit there with their windows down because we've had speakers outside so they can put their windows down and listen. So we bought a radio transmitter um, that only really goes the boundaries of our property, but it makes The boundaries of our entire property like perfect it's kind of spooky um and we started doing that the past two weeks and it's going really well people can keep their windows up turn their heat on and they can tune in like they would in a drive-in movie and they can hear everything that i'm doing um and so that's probably what we're gonna do and i'm just gonna bundle up in a lot of winter gear and i'm gonna look like a real weirdo but that's okay and i'll still stand up there outside in front of everybody i got some really encouraging feedback on it um, the other day um i'm a part of uh the walk to emmaus group walk to emmaus is like mm-hmm. a uh spiritual retreat thing that's like a long weekend that people go to and it's like really intense like for laity, intense theological education, they learn about the three types of Wesleyan grace and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, it's very monastic. All your technology is taken away from you, including your watches, so you don't even know what time it is. And It's, it's designed to be very monastic and very educational. And it was cool, but afterwards, you have like these groups that meet together once a month just to like see how life's going. It's like old school Wesleyan small group band meeting. Sure. How is it with your style thing? I was at that this past Saturday because uh, we have the ability at my church to do small gathering meetings because we have a big fellowship hall. Everybody can social distance and we can spray it down with like a cleaning solution when we leave, things like that. Um, but we were meeting and I was talking about stuff and I get a little bit more vulnerable with my congregants there than I do in any other group uh, for the sake of professionalism, you know. And I was Mm -hmm. talking about my concern about how service has been going, and I felt like I've been really repetitive recently uh, because I'm talking about, like, I'm trying to be encouraging through this time where I'm usually, pre-COVID, I was much more interested in talking about, like, the social issues and things like that, being a little bit more prophetic. Mm -hmm. I basically abandoned that for COVID completely. And that weighs on my soul a little bit because I mm. want to talk about justice issues and things, but I also know that everybody's like on a hair trigger right now. Yep. Um, and so I'm just sticking to kind of being um, as comforting as I can and as encouraging as I can. And then in my small groups, I get a little more challenging. We're reading like fragility in my one small group and we're about to start crossing the lynching tree here in a cool. couple weeks, which is James Cone. And that's going to be, that's going to be challenging anyway. Um, uh-huh. True. But they gave me some good feedback. They were talking. I was like, told them my concerns about it. And they said um, they really need the encouragement right now. It's mm. really helped a lot of them get through some of their depression in this good. season. Um, and then that's very good. They like being outside. They're very encouraging about that. They're like, you know, I get to see the blue sky behind you. The other day, you know, oh, a couple of weeks ago, you were preaching and just a hawk was just flying around behind you, you know.
0: And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and was, that's good. Uh, preordained, Nick. It's in the divine councils. <laughs> Stop it. Um, His eyes on the sparrow. <laughs>
1: i refuse, I refuse. God,
0: god's sitting there with his map he's like we'll put this there we go he's like a sim uh, uh he's playing uh yeah. sims he's moving the <laughs> hawk with his hand like perfect they're gonna love this <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know it's good to get the encouragement and the feedback that it's going well for people and that um you know uh, we had a very good conversation about honesty because i told them i was worried about focusing on the pandemic and on like the divisiveness in our nation too much and i was like i'm saying it every week and i feel like i'm putting it in your faces every week and you see it on the news cycles And they're like listen there are pastors who just try to distract you from everything and they do all that and they're like and you don't do that you're very real with us you're very honest and we appreciate that, you know. And you you look at what's going on, and you would you attack it head on, and that's good. So I felt very encouraged by that. That's great. Now the flip side of this is, as I kind of mentioned, like I haven't been doing the justice issue stuff. Sometimes, in an attempt to be encouraging, I'm afraid that I'm actually, occasionally abandoning some of my my um, ethical stances, right? Mm. Because uh, I have to talk about you know, forgiveness and being together right now and looking out for one another when really we're not in that place as a nation or even as a congregation sometimes. Um, And I'm worried that I'm becoming a bit cowardly in my preaching. Like I'm just trying to get through this part of my week with as few enemies at the end of it as possible, you know? Mm. Um, rather than preaching all the things that I'd like to. Like, sometimes there's, like, a text on lectionary that's very, like, um, you know, you must pursue justice or God will judge you. (laughs) And I'm like, what else is on lectionary? And, like, but, like, in my heart, that's the one I want to preach on, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll choose the more um, gentle, benign text intentionally even if something inside me says that's not what I should be doing right now. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm fighting with the Holy spirit over what I'm going to preach on and say, and that weighs on me. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't help that I have Justin longtime listener of the show. He'll hear this and he'll give me a hard time later. Um, who's very politically active, pretty liberal kid and very well read and theologically 17 year old kid and he's pretty smart. Um, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I, I, he's not always there on Sundays, but I can feel him staring at me, like, do it, say it. Right. <laughs> Tell them they're wrong. <laughs> do it, pastor. What are you doing? Do and, it. Like, <laughs> and I can, I feel his eyes on the back of my head sometimes. And, um, and he wouldn't be wrong, you know, like, cause I definitely sense that if I definitely feel that, but um, I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that the balance of encouragement on Sunday mornings in the more public sphere balances out with the work I'm doing one-on-one with people and in small groups. And ultimately, I'm being as faithful to the congregation as I can be uh, in a very strange time. So that's the primary um, place where my head is and what I'm doing uh, with the congregation right now. We're doing a lot of stuff to try to deal with covid Mm-hmm. Our clothing room closed down, kind of finally. It was, it's been a hot mess for a little while. We had this like clothing uh, room that people could come in and just sort of take whatever clothes they need. And it's, you know, we're a small rural community, so it ends up being to some people an important part of community life. But it was one of those missions that was like doing way more to serve the volunteers than to serve the community.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, I do know what um, you mean
1: it gives me something to do and feel like I'm serving the community and it's good rather than compared to how many people are actually being served. And I feel like the majority yeah. of the mission was actually being a drop off spot for people getting rid of clothes more sure. than people coming who need clothes. Um, and so I've been kind of fighting against them for a little while and we've had our attention and, we just we had a big event we did it outside we laid out all the clothes because everybody's cleaning out their houses right now so we've just had so many donations and we can't send any of it to salvo to salvo and goodwill and all those places they're not taking any donations right right right. um and so we just have these piles and piles of bags of clothes that we're just sitting on and the clothing room couldn't be open because of covid because it's too small a space um Mm -hmm. we couldn't safely get people in there to do it. So it's just been building through COVID. So we had this big event and we put out all the clothes. It was so much clothes. We had so many tents out in the yard. Luckily we have a decent yard at my church. And um and it went well. We got rid of just about everything. We're gonna, there's a couple places we're gonna donate what's left or we're just gonna we're just gonna throw it away, you know, because that's kind of where it is. And the clothing room is, is like empty and it's this decent sized space and inevitably, we're going to open it back up as a clothing room again when COVID's over. But I keep looking at it and pointing it to everybody. I go, "Make a decent youth room, wouldn't it?" Mm-hmm. That's true. A nice little emergency shelter here, huh? Would make a nice little
0: emergency shelter for people. Just saying. That you know? now that would be a cool idea. The emergency that, shelter. idea. It takes in. a lot more work. I've so there, I've there is a lot more work. That's true. If only you had some- one point seven million dollars. <laughs> if only. Listen. <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs>
1: our church does have a decent endowment that we've invested um, that we use to keep up with our bills and things. And honestly, I don't know if we'd be surviving right now if we hadn't done that before COVID began. Absolutely. Um, I would – I'm very hesitant to pull that out to use for something like this because I'm pretty sure it's going to be the lifeline for this church going forward in the future. You know, all churches, any pastor listening to this, if you – Don't have an investment like this if you don't have endowments that you can pull the um uh the geez, what am I even thinking?
0: Operating budget, sure, Uh, yeah. The principal things.
1: things if you can't, if you don't have like this sustainable investment that you can pull from to pay bills and stuff because you feel like you're doing okay right now, you're going to be in trouble in like 10 years because the baby boomers are dying. Gen X mm. is not showing up the way baby boomers did. Millennials are fleeing the church and you're just not going to have the money. So if these churches are going to survive the way they are, whether or not that's good or bad is a whole nother conversation. But sure. if they're going Sure's to survive- reality. Need these kinds of sustainable funds. So you know, start hitting up your rich old people who are about to die uh, to to leave money to the church that you can invest. Uh, yep, uh, that sounds morbid and terrible, but that's that's the reality.
0: It it only sounds morbid to people who are not doing this job. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it. Like like I I a hundred percent agree with you. And and I did that. Like as folks, you know, not like as folks were on their their death's door but like as folks got older when i was you know at the church you know i i would i i had that conversation often It'd be like hey if you ever want to know what you can give to the church to really um prepare this church to do ministry for the next however many years it's a it's a no strings attached large donation that would that would aid your church in being able to do the work um, and I often said how much I would have loved to. Or oh, the church I served got a million dollars before I showed up. We Nick, Nick, and I both arrived at churches and who received giant endowments in the beginning of, of our time, which is awesome. All in the divine councils, Nick. God's up there yes. just raining money down. You on, can't keep uh, saying that. People are going to take you seriously. You, you're right. There is no God. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Those are the only options. <laughs> either, either God is, either God is a dictator of all things, or there is no God. Um, Paul Tillich would be like, "No, man."
1: <laughs> Here you go, man. Here's here's your mega church. You've won. <laughs> yeah,
0: you did it. There you go. Just leave me alone. Um, but like, I often dreamed that uh, if I had more endowment money that was no strings attached, I would use it to pay salaries, and then every Sunday I would get up and tell people. Did you know that 100% of your giving today goes directly to ministry? Did you know that? God, and I
1: wish that was the way this worked. It literally went the opposite, though. The only strings attached to this money we got was that it could not pay salaries. Yeah,
0: that's a pain. Uh, that's so it pain. had to
1: go into other stuff. And I, yeah. I really get it. I understand the heart of it. I really do. It's just sure. misguided.
0: Yeah. And
1: um, not that I'm not appreciative of the money or the man who left it behind. He did a lot of good stuff for the for the youth, of this community he not only did he leave money to us but he set up some scholarships for kids and he donated to all kinds of different stuff so he did good right. things i'm not ragging on him he just he just created a situation i think he didn't understand with the church and uh, yeah and
0: i think that happens a lot we've talked about that we
1: are shrewd <laughs> right as jesus called us to be uh and we right. get around it by using the money for basic bills that would come out of the general fund otherwise, and then just use the general fund to do other things. Like we're creating, we've created a youth minister position. Mm -hmm. And we just gone live with that. We're looking for, uh, to hire somebody and we can create a decent salary for them. And it's not because giving is up because it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, it's because all of our giving can go into something like that because the endowment money can take care of, all the other bills of the church so ultimately it does help us create salaried positions it just can't go directly to it's just all about where specific money is going Mm -hmm. you know and it's Mm -hmm. it it, from my perspective it all feels very silly but you got to follow the legal stipulations you know it is what i I do do.
0: yeah you're right
1: but so we're looking for a youth leader position uh part-time for now um, but it, hopefully we've created a good enough salary for people that it would be attractive. Um, and and we'll see how that goes. It's only been up for about a week now, and we had one person apply so far. That's great. It, yeah, I guess It was a, some 19-year-old <laughs> Catholic kid whose resume consisted of, well, I helped the priest run CCD once.
0: <laughs> well, you know.
1: And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh. Um, not ragging on that, but maybe you're not like part of the job description is like help do Methodist education, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, so, okay, maybe not. And also you're not allowed to discriminate by age. So you got to be careful with this, right? But part of this, the rules of youth ministry in the Methodist church is that you have to be five years older than your oldest kid. If you're going to drive them anywhere. Right, And since part of youth ministry is just naturally going to be driving kids places, whether it's to retreats or camps or Mm. just going on field trips with the youth group or whatever. Like you have to be able to drive kids and a 19 year old is never going to be five years older than the oldest kid. So that's one of the difficulties, right? We couldn't not hire them for that reason specifically, but I mean, it's something in, the back of my mind, I'm implicating myself. Yes, now. I'm gonna get in trouble. Uh, but yeah,
0: <laughs> he's it's listening. One those,
1: it's one of those things that I think about with this, right? And I don't. Mm-hmm. The only reason I know they're 19 is because they put their high school graduation date on there. Right. You know, you have to deduce because you can't ask for it from people. So that's interesting. This is my first time hiring anybody, and so this is new and a new challenge, especially with COVID, running youth group all from Zoom. Uh, We've definitely lost kids during this. Maybe they'll come back when COVID's over, but my youth group's way smaller at the moment because we don't have the proper tools to reach out to them the way we need to. I'd love to set up the church that all these kids who are doing school from home now Mm -hmm. who live like on my block here around the church could come up to the church and use our Wi-Fi and spread out and we could hang out at the church. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea if we had internet that functioned for it, but we don't because the only thing yeah. we get in Frontier because Blue Ridge won't come out to us and neither will anybody else. And Frontier sucks really bad. bad. And Mark, the guy who runs sound and all the technology for me and worship, you know, we can't have anybody on the Wi-Fi other than the iPad that's streaming. Otherwise, it all collapses. So mm. there's no way I can get five, five or six kids in here yeah. with a laptop doing schoolwork like it's not going to work um and there's just no way for us to improve that unfortunately it's just sort of a reality of the area so it kind of sucks that like we know that would be a good outreach you know endeavor that would help parents and kids get away from each other for a little while and help Mm. them with schoolwork and provide some kind of sense of social atmosphere with safety precaution sure we just can't do it you know we just can't provide them with the one thing they need to function in this way which is the internet
0: (laughs) yep yeah Um, that's a pain because that is a good idea i like that idea
1: yeah so that sucks uh fall festivals coming up normally we have a trunk or treat like most people do Mm -hmm. and then we usually do it like almost like a school dance one of my youth set this up Uh, When she was really young, she took charge of this. And this is one of the really nice things about my church is they really let the youth, when they come up with a project or idea, they really let them take it and run with it. And they really encourage them in those leadership roles. And Justin listens to this, and maybe some of my other youth will at some point in their lives. And if they ever do, hi. uh, I want you to know this is not normal for churches. Right, it is not. This is is something we're very blessed to have, be a part of a congregation that really lets our kids run with projects, presents them at ad council, have their own committees. Like fall festival is its own committee with its own meetings. And the 15 year old girl who runs it is the chair of that committee.
0: Sure. No joke. That's incredible. That's incredible. And
1: has been since she created this, I think she was 12. Uh, don't quote me on that. I, sure. I, cause I was before I was here. Um, so whenever it was, she started it and that's always been the case. And she does these huge PowerPoint presentations of how she wants to do it all. And she sets it up. Anyway, we can't do it like a party. Like we usually would with games and things like that. It's for the Mm -hmm. younger. kids. So what we're doing this year, since trick or treat is definitely going to be canceled this year, right? It's already starting to happen in other places. So it's just a matter of time before, um, you know, our area officially cancels trick or treat, um, we are like, well, we need to, we want to do something to create some normalcy for these young kids. So we're doing a, a, um, tent or treat idea, mm. uh, that, that this, the girl who created this came up with. Um, and the idea is we take those big pop-up tents that you get for like parties and things because right. everybody around here has a bunch of them and we set those up around the parking lot, mm. Right. And everybody sets up their own scenes. So not just a trunk, but like a full scene. Okay. And up costumes. And then families can come drive around it. And kind of like in the wintertime when people set up big Christmas light displays, mm-hmm. and they charge people to come in and they drive through the Christmas light display and they never right. have to gather or anything like that. We obviously aren't going to be charging anybody. It's totally free. Sure. Um, but the idea is that you are in your family groups that don't have to worry about social distancing as much, um, in your scenes and it creates a drive through thing, right? Huh? We'll still give them bags full of candy, right? Right. We'll give them bags of candy that have been prepared carefully. Um, different stations can still kind of like hand through the window safely, like certain things if we want to, um, and we were, we're working on all that, and she's got all those details worked out. She's crazy. She's awesome. Um, but, yeah, that's what we're doing, and it's, like, it's underway. We're we're, we're going to make it happen. We're going to start setting up, like, a month ahead of time so that we have, I'm like, sure. these scenes looking good. Um, and it should be cool, and it, it's going to be an alternative to, like, your regular Halloween thing. Um, we'll see how it goes, you know. In this time, everybody in ministry is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what works out. And maybe this right. will flop miserably. Maybe it'll be great. Who knows? Uh, we're just gonna we're gonna give it a go. We're trying uh, to
0: yeah. are we're,
1: we're trying to bring other churches in the area in on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, hey, does your church want to have a tent area? And hopefully, it'll be an ecumenical endeavor in that way. And mm. we have a decent parking lot compared to other places we also have some yard space so if we even need to take it into our yard we can do that um and it should be good and we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see how many people really want to set up tents right now that's what we're doing right. we're trying how many volunteers want to do this uh, and that'll determine how big it ends up being but it should be cool i'm
0: hoping it's cool
1: <laughs> angie and i are doing super mario brothers for our theme that'll
0: be fun that'll be fun yeah so peach and yoshi right
1: <laughs> no we're gonna do mario and luigi we're doing i think
0: that. that'd be awesome
1: uh and one of the kids here it already has a waluigi costume and i was like all right but you're only allowed to be waluigi if you can do the wah <laughs> 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 so that'll be, it'll be fun we'll, we'll see how it goes um so that's something we're focusing on and trying to do food pantry has been intense we've been feeding so many people through yeah. covid um, I don't even know what more to say about that. You know, I I
0: hear it. No, what I think is. Sorry, just to to say this real quick, a
1: lot more hours of feeding people, a lot more people being fed a lot less volunteers. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really hoping some of my people don't burn out on some of this. We're trying to change some of the hours on things, to handle this particular issue. So we're kind sure. of reformatting some of it, but we're always going to be feeding people. That's just a reality. So now go, mm. go ahead and say what
0: you were I was. Saying. I was just going to say, I think it's really incredible to listen to uh, you and talk about all the things that your church is still really, uh, really trying to do and continuing to do during COVID. Joe, our con- Joe and my conversation last week was um, uh, ended by talking about how um, uh, one of the things that COVID-19 kind of reveals and, uh, and and we're, you know, we were careful. I was careful to say that it's not like I think God killed 200,000 people with COVID in order to reveal this. Like, I think it just reveals it, is um, that for so many churches, the, the reorientation towards the community, towards vulnerable people, towards that kind of stuff, um, should have happened so long ago, because now what we discover is not in COVID is not only the exacerbation of vulnerable people, but we discover that that churches that have not made that change, that have not done that reorientation, uh, find that they have nothing to do, you know, and they find that um, wow, it, since my entire since my entire church identity was rooted in Sunday morning worship. Now I either do nothing or we must get together during Sunday morning. We have to do it where there is no church or, um, well, or, or even, even churches like the church of the resurrection that are so focused on like massive programming, right? Like the programming of, of middle-class folks or wealthy folks, you know, doing stuff. Now we discover that during COVID for some of that programming, there's no way to do it safely. So what are you going to do? You know what, what? What's the plan? Um, but Joe and I talked about how it's it's almost certainly the churches that uh, have already made that transition, that have already said, "No, no, we're going to be a church that's oriented towards um, the needs of our community and not primarily the needs of ourselves." That are probably um, doing better during this time than than many others. Even the way Nick you talked about. Uh, the the um, the clothing room, you know, and and you're kind of identifying. Uh, this is a really a ministry that I think is more for the people doing it than it is for people who really need it. It's not that there aren't people who really need this ministry, but but this this is a ministry that you've identified as being for the church. That in other churches, in the majority of other churches, that thing you identified uh, would be a good enough reason to keep it for eighty years. You know, um, I know I've been making fun of Calvin, but but Calvin says actually, I just read it in in the Niebuhr book I was reading, that that Calvin believes that God created poor people to give Christians something to do, and that like whole idea in many ways has permeated <laughs> so many churches now that like, like, you know, yeah, like we do this for something to do and we do this for ourselves. And it's not, it's not really, it doesn't matter that it might be ineffective. That's, it's irrelevant that it might yeah. be. Yeah.
1: So let me say a couple of things. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll say I did struggle with this. I do struggle with this with the clothing room a little bit. We do run into this a little bit with the clothing room. Um, Nobody really says it's because the volunteers need it. It's always like, well, even if one person needs clothes, we should we should have the clothing room. I go, okay. Well, um, I bet we could find other ways to help them beyond having this entire giant stressful endeavor because uh, right. that's what it is. Um, but you know, it's it's gone. They they did it. They they closed it down. They did I mean COVID forced the hand, you sure. know, in that regard. And it's gonna come back, but we'll, we'll get a chance to revision it and um reorganize it when we bring it back. So hopefully it will be a little bit more productive than it was. Um but You know, I have to sing my church's praises also because they're pretty good in a general sense about knowing about this. So, first of all, this this church is already very missionally focused. They a lot Mm -hmm. of these things were already here, and in fact, we've had to pull back on so many missions with COVID, and they're feeling the strain of that of the loss of the mission, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We have the clothing room, the food pantry. Food pantry is going strong, but it's the only one that's really going strong right now. You have the clothing room, the food pantry. You have uh, what we call ugly quilts. People take, there's the, these ladies, they would get together every week and they would make these giant quilts for the homeless. Um, sure. And that's been kind of shut down through COVID. Um, they're starting back up now kind of slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, we put a lot of precautions in place for them to do it, but they are starting to come back. Uh, but, you know, when COVID hit, they knew they needed to protect themselves because they're all older ladies for the most part. Um, and during the summer, there wasn't really a need for these things for the homeless, mm. but now we're getting into the colder season. The shelters are starting to need these things again. And so they're like, is there any way we can make this work where we can come back? And I was like, yes, let's talk it through. We'll figure it out. Uh, we also have, uh, what we call the mission room, which is just a group of ladies who put together those like health kits and things for mission central. Sure. Um, Now, recently through COVID, they pulled back, there's less volunteers coming to do it. And instead of making things for Mission Central, they've been making kits to hand out to people who come to the food pantry. So they're getting food, but they also get like basic hygiene kits with like, you know, toothpaste, toothbrushes, toilet paper, things like that, right? Like those basic kind of necessities that, I mean, you and I have worked in uh, lower income areas with people enough to know that some of those things can be seen as, you know, unnecessary. They're the things that get put to the side with finances, right. like mm-hmm. you, you focus on other things. And so things like deodorant just, just aren't as important right, sure. as like feeding your child. So like Absolutely. we tried to create kits of those sorts of things to give out to people so they have them and they try to rotate each uh, month what they're handing out to people. Um, so that it's not just the same crap over and over again. You stockpile a certain thing, but they tried to spread it out. So that's been cool. It's kind of taken focus in that way. Um, And it's cool that they have that. The other thing that the church has had for, this was the 11th year technically, was a thing called Music on the Lawn, which was a big event for the community where we do this big chicken barbecue, which is, there's a it's chicken barbecue season out here right now. Every single weekend, there is a chicken barbecue by somebody out here. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was our chicken barbecue. There was also, we'd have live music playing we'd have a bunch of vendors who came out and like local vendors who could like sell their stuff. Um, and everything was to raise money for a different mission organization in the area. Um, and so all the money raised would go into supporting some local mission, whatever that is. Sure. Um, this year, uh, was the 11th year we couldn't do the big event like always so we only did the chicken barbecue and um, we sold out completely and all the money raised went into our food pantry right because mm-hmm. we're meeting such a higher need so it went into the food pantry Sure. and they declared this the last year of music on the lawn there's a lot of reasons for that uh, the guy who runs it is tired right sure. it's a huge event he's kind of burned out of it He's got young kids, and, mm. and we always talk about him spending more time with his kids and not killing himself at the church doing some of these things. Um, for t- the past two years, he's been saying, 2020 is going to be my last year, trying to find people to take on all the responsibilities he has. We just haven't been able to find the volunteers to take on all his responsibilities. And so the whole committee said, that's fine. It's done. And nobody's that's, fought it. That's a big deal. Isn't it? It's that's crazy to me. Uh, that nobody has fought it. Everybody loves the event. It's a big part of our church's identity in this community. Mm. Uh, and yet nobody's freaking out that we're not doing it anymore. You know, That's good. they're like, That's Hey, awesome. we had 11 good years of supporting missions. You know, we raised, oh my gosh, I'm going to get the number wrong and I'm going to feel bad. He announced it and it was very emotional. Like over the years, we raised like $20,000 or so for local missions. It was was a lot, you know, and we did some good stuff and we got to not only support local missions, but we got to build relationships with local missions that will continue long Mm. beyond this event, right? And for them, that was the important piece. So what they're going to do is they are going to continue to have a chicken barbecue every year. Um, It just will no longer be the giant music on the lawn event. It will just be a chicken barbecue. It will continue to support local missions. It will make less money than okay. the entire event did because we made a lot of money off of vendors and things like that mm-hmm. um, but that 's okay you know' it's, it fits where our volunteers are right now better yeah um, and it continues to do that missional focus thing outside of just ourselves supporting the local missions around us, which is important to, to our community as well. Um, but it just, it looks different and everybody is okay with that. And it blows my mind because I've never been a part of a church where that's okay. Like we've yeah. talked about, uh, and you've talked about on, on here a lot, your church, your church is struggle with the pageant, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: letting go of their pageant, their Christmas pageant and how difficult that is. But that, that is far more the norm in churches. Yes. Uh, than yeah. the situation I am dealing with. And so I'm not saying any of this to brag. I just am very proud of my Absolutely. people. I'm Absolutely. very proud of my congregation in this time. I know they're struggling with a lot of this stuff and there's definitely tension and anxiety amongst people, but I really think they're handling things pretty well, all things considered. And they're like, well, that's fine. Things are different this year. Okay. No matter what I think of COVID, we're just going to get creative and come up with different ways to do this because it's just what it's going to be. Um, and that's great. I'll take that. I'll take that every day of the week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gushing a lot here, but I will also say this. I'm ranting a lot. I know this. It's okay. Um, because I'm just, this is my whole life. I'm very passionate about my churches and the things that we're doing. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all of the pride that I feel, how good my people are being, um, how I really feel like this is a really good expression of the church, I will also say I'm very tired. Um, And I see a lot of articles going around about why pastors are burning out during COVID-19. And a lot of the things they list are just like, not seeing people as much, not getting the the support. Um, people are more uh, maybe aggressive towards pastors right now because of their own anxieties and tensions, and pastors can become punching bags. Some of those things have happened to me for sure. Um, sure. But the main reason I'm getting kind of tired, and I'm getting I don't like the word burned out because I'm not burned out of ministry at all. Disillusioned, maybe. Sure. Uh, the reason, main reason I'm getting disillusioned is because there is a sort of honesty that COVID brings out that shows us the cracks in the larger institutional system.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very disillusioned with our conference, uh, which you and Joe have already kind of talked about on this show plenty. Um, I'm very disillusioned with our conference. I'm very, I'm feeling my, my district superintendent is very wonderful to me. She really is. So I'm not here to rake her over the coals because I think she's a a shining light in the darkness of our, of our conference. I really mean that. I'm not just saying that to cover my ass. I I really think she does a good job. But at the higher conference level, I feel very abandoned as a pastor. Um the kind of programming they've been putting out well you you mentioned it like we get these letters that are kind of like oh you know things are going great also no more health insurance um great Mm -hmm. cool Mm -hmm. um and that's like all we really get we don't really get a lot of real genuine encouragement yeah we don't really get a lot of real genuine um tools or resources or ideas for how to deal with this time because and, and to be fair the conference also doesn't know what they're doing sure. just as much as we don't so i want to give them grace in that to some extent but you know my ds has done her best and she early on and i they might still do it a little bit they put together zoom meetings where we could get together and brainstorm as a district you know what are some things we're doing right now what can we do and that was fine and that was really nice but i would really just like the the bishop and the in the conference to put out some stuff that says you know here's some resources the conference will be paying for all upgraded zoom accounts here's some programming you can use through zoom here you know things like that Mm -hmm. and we get suggestions of those things without anything tangible you know what i mean right um And we're just, I don't know, we're using it all as another distraction away from the human sexuality debate. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to talk about COVID and encourage through this in some capacity, even if it's kind of falling flat, rather than actually begin the conversation on human sexuality. General conferences still should have happened this past summer to deal with it, and we were not prepared for it. Uh, and now it's coming up fast again in 2021. It's really not that far away and we've done nothing to prepare our pastors, to prepare our congregations. It's all very, let's not talk about it until the last second when the decisions already be made and then we'll spring it on everybody. Um, and I'm just so fucking tired of that kind of leadership. I'm mm-hmm. so tired of it. I, I despise it. It's not the kind of pastor or leader I want to be to my people. I know my people don't want that kind of leadership because I lead very – I try to be very open and honest with all of it, including saying, I don't know.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> like When I have meetings with people and they're like, let's talk about the issue of human sexuality, how, how it's happening in the Methodist church, what the sides are, things like that. And they ask me a question and I don't know the answer. I'll go, I actually don't know. Sure. I wish I knew. Um, I'll do some research and maybe we'll come back to this. They just don't know. Um, the conference would never do that. Yeah. They just wouldn't. Um, and because they would never have the conversation in the first place. And so we're, we're setting up our pastors we're, and we're setting up our congregations for complete failure. COVID's going to end. We're going to have come out of this really weird, strange time. Things are going to take a long time to get back to any kind of normal right yep even if even if that ever happens in the church uh and as we're coming out of that we're going to be hit with a, a split in the church mm-hmm. that so many congregations are not going to be prepared for and it's going to be maybe saying the death of the church is a bit dramatic it's going to be a huge blow to the entire United Methodist Church, but especially the Susquehanna Annual Conference. And I don't know if our conference is going to survive it, actually. Yeah, Um, yeah. No matter what happens, I really think it's going to be the end of the conference. Whether that means we merge with one of the other two Pennsylvania conferences or whatever, I don't know. But I really don't think our conference is going to survive this thing. And COVID has just underlined and proven that our leadership is simply not prepared for these things. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's because of financial issues that we're dealing with in the church that are confusing us, or just the fact that we haven't done enough to prepare ourselves as leaders in a faith community to actually be ready for an issue like this. Never yeah. mind the fact that this has, I mean, human sexuality has been an issue in the church since the seventies. Yeah, you know, it's not like we haven't had time to talk about this or prepare for it. We just haven't. And I'm so disillusioned and tired that I look at it and I go, I have a great congregation, a great expression of the church, and I'm still so beaten down and I Mm. don't know always what to do with that. You know what I mean? Um, So I imagine if I'm feeling beaten down and tired, other pastors listening to this probably are as well. Uh, maybe for some of the reasons I've articulated or maybe some of the reasons that some of these articles going around articulate about being abused. You're not in great situations. And I guess since you've let me on to this platform, I guess I just want to say, like, I see you, I feel you completely, and I'm not going to pretend things are going to get better or going to get easier. I'm just going to say a lot of us are in this boat with you. Mm-hmm. um reach out to the friends you have that can sympathize and empathize with you don't don't write off those pastoral friendships because we really need each other right now because no congregant is ever going to understand exactly what you're experiencing in this moment um so you've got to have that that connectionalism of the methodist church is so important right now for pastors you've got to mm-hmm. have that kind of group of people that you trust to just rant to the way I'm ranting right now to all of you on the podcast about it all you have to you have to have the outlet or you're going to explode
0: period definitely definitely Uh, Nick I appreciate that a lot I I always know and trust in your ability to uh be truthful and honest and 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 speak in an authentic way about where you see you know, just bullshit and bad stuff happening, particularly among people that are given responsibility over us i I think that um, I think that something that I appreciate about you and that that i I try to emulate well is um to try to throw romanticism out of the church where where it really should be there. And uh so I've been re-watching The Office. Um my wife loves The Office and I have watched it one time with her and I was watching uh YouTube videos of office bloopers that were really making me laugh because because that show is so immersive and because everybody is playing it so straight all the time that any time somebody laughs, like it sets off this kind of crazy chain reaction where, where everybody laughs, like every single person on set, like kind of doubles over one, there was one blooper where they, they, it took them like 12 takes to get through it without anybody laughing. And, and the person that broke it was the camera operator who you could hear go (laughs) like, like, and then it set everybody up. Anyway, um, I realize that the office is just a mi- mi- microcosm of the United Methodist Church, or at least the Susquehanna Annual Conference, where where there's a ton of performance and a lot of um, you know, non-solutions to major problems, um, where we're supposed to uh, kind of have emotional attachments to the church, even if the church is not um being good to us or good to people. And you know, the the strat the the thing about the office that really reminds me of this, of our conference is um Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, who's the boss, you know, like everything is laden with emotional romantic spiritual meaning like everything he does and how he views himself and his job and and the company the paper company they work for is 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 laden with this kind of transcendent quality that makes it impossible to critique and so like as you watch the show you discover that michael scott uh hasn't has been working for the company for 15 years and has never received a pay increase And, and like, there's this episode where it's like, yeah, why would I ask for a pay increase? Why? And everybody's like, Michael, this is what you're making. Michael, you're just barely making more money than me. And I started last year, like, like, and they're like, well, you know, and and he's not really able to see a problem, you know, and, and, and it's supposed to come across as funny, but it often, for me, comes across as, yeah, you know, this is, <laughs> or or Michael Scott doesn't want to fire anybody because he doesn't want people to dislike him. And so he won't, he'll just sort of allow bad things to happen. I'll probably cut all that out. But why, what I'm saying is uh, uh, the romanticism of our conference, that, that it, of our conference at the very least, Joe likes to say that her conference is not like this, which which I believe, I've never been there. Um, the romanticism of our conference will, will be the thing that I think will kill us all and kill the conference. And
1: Yeah. You guys have talked about it as the spiritualization of mm-hmm. issues, the, the spiritualized language. I, I, I agree with all the conversations you've had about how they use your call against you, right? The language of your calling and things like that. And um, yeah, it's that kind of stuff that really just sort of like, I don't believe in any of that shit. Let yeah. me be totally honest. Like, I, I hate that. And it's the romantic, the, I can't even say the word now, romanticization. Yes. Jeez. I don't know why that's so difficult. Uh, but the romanticism of it all is, is exactly right. I, I, have, I have no time for it. I never have. Mm. Um, it's one of the reasons I resisted Christianity for so long is that I'm not, I actually decided that paganism and magic wasn't real a long time ago. Uh, in, like, high school. Uh, And so anytime anything sounds like it is trying to say something about magic or say something magical... I just immediately shut down. Like, oh no, there's this calling on your life, and you have to live in this. Oh my God, that that's magical. I'm sorry, it's that's not real. You can you can do a lot of things with your life, and and be connected to the spirit of God. Like, you, you can't get rid of the spirit of God. The spirit of God will be with you in whatever you choose to do. Um, so that's crap. So don't use that one against me. Um, and just like everything, like the the spirit of togetherness, uh, better together. Uh, yes, one in our, Christ,
0: our theme. Uh, better together, one in Christ. Better together, one with.
1: Let's anything. not talk about real issues that are in front of us because the Spirit of God wants us together. You know, like a uh, what are they? What are those things? The mosaic. We're like a mosaic. Yeah, we're like a mosaic. We're a bunch <laughs> of shattered pieces, but we make one larger picture. And I'm like, okay, that's really good
0: yeah, that's guys. that's great.
1: But well, also, but the church is about to split, and like legitimately, and we need to talk about. You know, leadership strategies for navigating our people through that. We can't just pretend that we're magically going to know what to say to people in the right moment. Can you please train us a little bit?
0: Well, but I think that's the strategy. I really do. Like, I I think that the the fundamental strategy of our conference is if we can just get as many people on board with this whole kind of um, with the magic trick, with the magic act. Then, uh, uh, then maybe nobody will ever have to have that conversation. Maybe, maybe then the split can happen, sort of behind all the closed doors, you know, like like our conference prefers. You know, this is the, the main thing that frustrates me about the, about our conference. Uh, and I talked about it a couple episodes ago about on the health insurance thing. All of the major decisions happen behind closed doors. Nobody knows they're happening. I don't have to be privy to the, what are the finances look like conversation. I don't have to be privy to that. Like, I don't, I don't have a ton to contribute, but I do have to be privy to the knowledge that the conversation is happening. You know, like I, I don't, I don't want to know, I I don't want to suddenly have like, like what happened and have the bishop send us all nice little letters saying hi everybody you know how we said that everything was fine everything's still fine for a totally unrelated reason we're taking away people's health insurance like 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 it's just how did you arrive at that well here is the the product here's the end product like no talk to me um but i do i think the strategy is if enough pastors and enough lay people um can be trained to not care, and can be trained to think that it's sort of a magic act, then um, the questions of the split, how the Susquehanna Conference will look, who's going where, can all happen without any of our input. And then we'll just kind of accept what's given to us. Like one of the things that I, I think is probably going to happen is I imagine the Susquehanna Annual Conference will split between the Eastern and Western PA Conferences. Um, and I imagine that, pro- that, that the powers that be, whoever they are, are going to look for a middle-of-the-road clean split that West of Harrisburg goes to Western, East of Harrisburg goes to Eastern, and which, which would be uh, something along the lines of a catastrophically stupid idea um, because the differences between the Western PA Conference and the Eastern PA Conference are stark, and um, what all what that would mean is, you know, where you're at would go Eastern and be a part of a of a liberal uh, conference, and where I'm at would go Western and be a part of a of a Wesley Covenant Association conference. Um, I mean, that's fine, but like. All of these other places that, like, have no business being there would go there, and my theory is, is that's just going to be decided in a, in a background channel. It's going to be presented at an annual conference and then a- as if it was already decided, and then when somebody says, well, don't we have to vote on this? Everybody says, don't ask too many questions. Just vote yes so that we can all go home. Don't worry, it'll
1: is, be great. Which is exactly what they're doing to us right now with the health insurance thing. Right.
0: Uh, literally
1: what they said, don't ask too many questions, just vote yes, right? And you're right. Like we have churches that are or might as well be reconciling churches that would end up in the Western Conference, which is ridiculous. Right. If you overgeneralize, um, my district does tend to be the most liberal district of our sure. conference. Mm -hmm. um, in a general sense, but that's not true for every church here. Uh, and that's not to say there aren't churches more Western that don't belong in a more liberal conference. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and I don't know, I guess people could make the argument it's good to have the liberal voices in a conservative conference, but nobody actually believes that.
0: Right. Right.
1: That's stuff we say to like make ourselves feel better like oh it's good to have the balancing of voices but at this point nobody actually believes that so it's just more bs language um and i'm just i'm just sick of it i just i think i'd be feeling so much better if i didn't feel like the conference was lying to us about everything all the time yeah because i just don't trust that they're not because they just keep proving over and over i mean lord no, i mean this the conversation on health insurance started a year ago apparently Yeah, that's exactly right. I didn't know any of that was happening. So what are they talking about right now? Right. You know, in the midst of all this stuff happening with things coming up, what are they talking about? What are they deciding for us? And Mm -hmm. I just don't know. I I just, it's very, maybe it shouldn't weigh on me as much as it does. Maybe I'm letting the institution get to me too much. Maybe I should just focus on my uh, local congregations feel blessed and privileged to have these congregations and just be happy and good. But I just don't, I just don't feel happy. You know, I, I just, I feel right. Betrayed. I feel lied well, to.
0: but, but that's right. That's right. I mean, because it directly affects you and Ange, it directly affects, it affects us, you know, don't, don't think about it. Just become local. That that's a part of the, that's a part of what they're hoping we all do. Like, Oh, okay, you just take care of it. And once again, I don't want to be invited to the table at this, at, at, at a financial meeting. I don't have anything to contribute. I want to know it's happening. I want, to be tra- I want it to be transparent. And uh, I remember at least a couple of annual conferences ago, it could have been the last one, uh, they attempted to close a church down without having like a discussion. And it blew up in their face. And this district superintendent had to stand up there and and watch as, as their subterfuge failed. And I'm like, why? Why even do that? Like like why why even why even hide it? For 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 the off chance that it might be easier for you? Was why that
1: because there's deeper levels to same? No, it wasn't the same. It was something
0: else. It was, it okay. Was something
1: else. I don't remember the exact example, but I remember the example of, because they do that with every church closure, mm-hmm. right? And, the, and there, there was a congregation that ended up dying because they took in a large Congolese immigrant community. Right. And all the white people with money left. And so they couldn't keep up their bills anymore. So they had to close it down. And they they kind of sprung it on everybody at annual conference. And they like, it was so weird because they had weird. the Congolese people there to like sing in a choir at it was, annual it was, conference as it was we were so voting to the church.
0: It was so tone deaf. It and it was, was
1: so bizarre. And like, I, and, and they did, they closed the church. And as far as I know, the Congolese community found another church to worship in. But like, there's racial issues that we did not address there. Why didn't we address the fact that this is closing because all the white people left when the Congolese people showed up, right? Mm -hmm. Why didn't we talk about that as a conference? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That should have been brought up and addressed immediately. It should have been like, look, yes, We have to close this church. We actually just don't have a choice. There's just no money there to do this. I want us all to know for sure and recognize and understand why this happened so we can make sure this never happens again in this Mm. way. No conversation. We just let them dress up in their traditional Congolese clothes and sing for all of us some beautiful hymns right before we voted to close their church down. Uh, And then we all felt, good about ourselves i guess
0: yeah it was it was really bizarre you're right nobody
1: Um, felt good about themselves everybody was like but wait we're closing their church like everybody like wait 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 you just had to wait why are we closing their church (laughs) and we're like well that's what it is and everyone was like okay
0: particularly when i particularly when it doesn't have to happen you know my dad used to well, my dad still complains about conference whenever we talk about it, even if I'm a little bit out of the game. But my dad used to say whenever I would tell him, you know, conference says they can't do this or conference says they can't do that or the district superintendent says no. I can't. Like, like when I found out that uh, there's a member of the clan in my district who is a pastor, and when I brought it up to my, my DS, my DS was like, well, there's nothing I can do about what he does with his private life. You know, and 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 my my dad said my dad said when I told him that my dad was like, anytime they say things like that, just I hope you know Ethan that that just means that you the boss and the company you work for are just really uninterested in doing a good job or being or being a terribly moral place to work for. It has nothing to do with the rules, you know. Like like, it, I suppose your DS is correct. Like. Like there's nothing legally, or, or like from a from a an employer perspective that that you, she can do to force the guy out of the KKK. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do. But you know what your boss can do? Call him to his to the office and and say, hey. In a month, I want a full report of all the people of color you have preached the gospel to. And it needs to be on my. This is my dad said. It needs to be on my desk in a month, or I will fire your ass. (laughs) Like, like, it really could just be that way. If she wanted to, she could just do that. And there's really nothing anybody can do because it's your fucking boss, you know. And it's and but it's the same thing with the conference, right? Like we have to close the church. There's nothing we can do. Bullshit. Grant writing, you know, like 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 there's there's a million things you could do. You just don't want to. You know, it's, it's just not worth it to you. And and I think that that is, well, I think that's the other problem. You know, they're, they're also Africans and and liberal folks have a in, a, in our conference, have a terribly hard time with, not everybody, of course, but have a terribly hard relationship with African Methodists because we don't know what to make of it and we're all racist anyway. But you're right, like, that we could have just had that conversation. We could have just said, yeah, we're closing it. We're closing it because the white Methodists with the money left because they didn't like the Congolese. That's why we're closing it. Yeah,
1: and I'll say the pastor that they had at the time that welcomed them in was a was a more liberal guy. More liberal. Uh, I won't I won't call him out by name, but like, and he did a, I think a good good job with them. Uh, I agree. He let them when they showed up. He welcomed them. This, this is all from his mouth now. I, I was not there. But from what he tells me, you know, he um, encouraged them to celebrate their heritage and they wanted to come up and sing traditional hymns in in the language that they spoke. And they did that and they became like the small, it was a small church. It became like the small church's choir and like, and that drove people away. And he just encouraged them to continue to worship authentically. And that's great. You know, that's how we should be. The fact that that was punished the way it was is an absurdity. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a lot more to that story than we know. Oh, sure. Because there always is. Um, but it just from from the perspective of people who were just sort of like blindsided on it, by it and then told they had to vote on it, That's that's like what we're dealing with.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. That was a lot. I'm going to close this one out. Friends, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? I am Ethan, and this is Nick, and we will see you next time.